This is the Down East EM Podcast. Okay, hello everybody and thank you for joining us for Not Just Drunk, our conversation on Orticus encephalopathy and its recognition in the alcohol abuser, the acutely intoxicated. So the thought for this topic came from a patient, as probably most topics do. This comes from a patient, John. Now, I know John well, and really, if we break it down, we all know John well. Every emergency department in the United States and probably across the world knows their John well. John's a 54-year-old gentleman, most of the time transient and homeless, sometimes able to get residence with a friend, couch surfing, or in a shelter, and he battles with chronic alcoholism, chronic alcohol abuse, and misuse. John comes to our emergency department regularly. In the summer times, we'll usually see him, you know, a couple times a week, once a week or so. In the winter, more frequently, every few nights, sometimes every night when there's a really cold spell. So we know John, and he's often intoxicated when he comes to our department. I'd actually heard, though, recently that John had a, had a bad spell. He had been admitted recently for an aspiration pneumonia. So I was surprised on my shift when I saw him, you know, come in with EMS with reports of an intoxicated patient on the street. He was put in a hallway stretcher as he usually is, or usually does. But clearly, today was different for John and different for me. So again, we're going to be talking about Wernicke's in the alcohol abuser or misuser. But before we dive into that, I want to just recognize the other phases of Wernicke's. Again, Wernicke's itself is a deficiency of vitamin B1 thiamine. It's important to recognize that this can manifest within two to three weeks of cessation of intake in the appropriate population. And now while alcohol abuse disorder is by far the most common cause of Wernicke's at about 90% of patients, there are other at-risk populations we need to think about. So one is the hemodialysis patient. As a water-soluble vitamin, thiamine can be depleted in these patients and they can present with a Wernicke's syndrome. The eating disorder patient, obviously the profoundly cachectic or the patient with significant body weight loss or body mass index decline, usually seen in diseases like anorexia nervosa are certainly at risk for Wernicke's. The HIV or AIDS patient also can experience this deficiency. And a growing population by number is the status post-gastric bypass patient whose intestinal anatomy is so deranged or so changed that they are at risk for thiamine deficiency. But in these patients, recognizing the disease is relatively easy, right? The hemodialysis patient, the symptoms of Wernicke's should be readily apparent. Same for the post-gastric bypass patient. For John, however, the symptoms of Wernicke's are kind of hard to tease out, and we're going to talk about that now. So the classic triad, the triad of Wernicke's that we all learned in med school is, of course, altered mental status, ataxia, and you're usually been said as ophthalmoplegia, but I would change that to ocular, ocular abnormalities. And of course, you know, in med school, we thought, yeah, these three symptoms, Wernicke's fits nicely into a package, and we see those three symptoms, and it's easy. Of course, in reality, the classic triad is by no means classic. We see it in about 10 to 30% of patients with Wernicke's encephalopathy. 
And again, in our highest risk patient population, we're going to see the picture gets really quite blurry. So let's just in our minds do a quick side by side of the symptoms of alcohol misuse and intoxication against those of Wernicke's encephalopathy. Confusion, certainly ataxia, things that we would share between the two. Memory impairment, yep, shared between the two. Eye changes such as nystagmus, you can see that in alcohol, you can see that in Wernicke's. There's a couple of things maybe, okay, dysarthria, you would probably think that that's an alcohol abuse only. True ophthalmoplegia we're going to talk a bit, fair bit about is really just Wernicke's. And hypothermia and hypotension are important ones that are in Wernicke's only, and we're going to flesh this out a little bit more. But the important point here is that most of the symptoms of the diseases are shared. So because of this difficulty, there have been diagnostic criteria that have been proposed. And I mention this for completeness sake alone. There are two important diagnostic criteria that were put out there, one by Kane and one by the Royal College. So the Kane criteria, they say two of four. And the four are dietary deficiency, which is defined as a BMI less than two or two standard deviations below normal, a history of grossly impaired dietary intake, or an abnormal thiamine level, which they don't define. Then eye signs, cerebellar signs, and altered mental status or memory impairment. So two of four of dietary deficiency, eye signs, cerebellar signs, and altered mental status. They found that criteria after looking at the behaviors of 28 chronic alcoholics. They looked at their behaviors, then they did autopsies upon their death and saw who did and did not have Wernicke's. They then looked at 106 alcoholics and refined and sort of evaluated their criteria. And when they evaluated, they found it was 100% sensitive and 100% specific. Obviously, that's not real to life. Nothing is that sensitive or specific. And it's just the litmus test does not seem to function very well for those. Again, two of four dietary deficiency, eye signs, cerebellar signs, and altered mental status. So the Royal College, they also put out their criteria for specifically for recognizing Wernicke's and alcoholics. And they said, you meet the criteria if you have chronic alcohol misuse plus any one of the following. Acute confusion, decreased level of consciousness, memory problems, ataxia, ophthalmoplegia, and hypotension with hypothermia. Just again, litmus test on those, chronic alcohol misuse with memory problems. I know plenty of alcoholics that we see regularly that I'm not worried about Wernicke's in that would meet that criteria. So the litmus test for these two is not great, but they're mentioned again for completeness. So again, let's come back to this idea that the symptoms and signs of alcohol intoxication and misuse is really a Venn diagram with that of Wernicke's encephalopathy. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's more overlap than not between them. As we said, confusion and memory impairment, that should be in the middle of our Venn diagram. Ataxia in the middle of the Venn diagram. And nystagmus can be seen in both diseases right in the middle of our Venn diagram. We see things like ophthalmoplegia and hypotension and hypothermia as being unique to Wernicke's, and sure, dysarthria would be unique to alcohol intoxication. Coming back to John, though, how do we recognize that something's different or off with him the day I saw him? So going through the three criteria, the triad, specifically to recognize what in it can lead us toward the diagnosis of Wernicke's, 
let's first talk about altered mental status. I have to say, to be honest, there's no great way to tell the altered mental state of Wernicke's encephalopathy from that of alcohol intoxication. The one thing I would say is we know John. We see him come in intoxicated regularly, and I know what John's intoxicated state looks like. His presentation of altered mental status today, it was different. He was more spacey, more out to lunch. Usually he's kind of disorganized, a little bit angry, slurred, not particularly focused on things, but his confusion today was different. And that may be as far as you get, that the altered mental state of Wernicke's appears different than their typical intoxicated state we see. Next of the triad is ataxia. One thing you can say here is that the ataxia of Wernicke's encephalopathy is thought to be more of a trunctal ataxia, not usually limb. And of course, in alcohol intoxication, we know dysmetria, difficulty with fine motor and, and coordination of the limbs is a very prominent element, but that's very difficult to discern in some regards. Truncal ataxia, limb ataxia, dis- distinguishing between the two. And we know that chronic alcohol abuse can lead to cerebellar atrophy. But there is a bit of a difference in terms of the prominence or prevalence of the findings in the two groups. So the Kane study did show us that about 30% of chronic alcohol abusers had cerebellar findings versus 80% of those diagnosed with Wernicke's. So more common in Wernicke's and the trunctal ataxia is more common as well. Finally, eye or ocular. This is where I think we can really separate the two, the wheat from the chaff, as you say. So nystagmus, we talked a little bit about. Nystagmus in alcohol intoxication, we certainly see that. I, in personal practice, feel like I see it more in the acutely intoxicated you know, college student, the person who's not a chronic alcohol misuser, but the person that comes in incredibly intoxicated and drinks on occasion, whereas very few of the chronic alcohol misusers, the chronically intoxicated, have nystagmus on my exam. For Wernicke's, nystagmus is very common. 85% of patients with Wernicke's will, are in one study showed nystagmus. So that may be hard to differentiate. I know that when John comes in intoxicated, he does not have nystagmus. So if he had it today, that would be a red flag to me. But there are other findings on the eye exam. And in particular, we're going to pay attention to palsies. So bilateral rectus palsies, right eye not looking right, left eye not looking left. 55% of patients with Wernicke's will have that. And conjugate gaze palsies, 45% of Wernicke's patients will. So if you may not be able to hang your hat on nystagmus, if a rectus palsy or a palsy in general is present in your patient, it should be a huge red flag for Wernicke's. And then finally, we have to talk a little bit about the other And by other, really, what I'm talking about here is the hypothalamus. So the thiamine deficiency affects different areas of the brains at different levels, and it depends on how much metabolic activity they have. But as we mentioned briefly in the Royal College criteria, we do see that the hypothalamus can be affected. So any findings of decreased temperature and decreased blood pressure in our patient should raise warning signs for Wernicke's. This, of course, would not be expected to be seen in the acutely intoxicated. So what's our diagnosis? How do we diagnose this disease collectively? Are there other things that we can hang our hats on? Let's let's talk about labs briefly. So certainly you have to think about thiamine and thiamine level, right? 
The way to test this, by the way, now is high-performance liquid chromatography. And no, you cannot hang your hat on this. A normal level does not help at all. A low level may point you in that direction, but by no means diagnostic. So if labs aren't that valuable, what about other things like imaging? Now, MRI has been looked at. Obviously, by no means am I recommending that our chronic alcohol abusers get MRIs to see if they have Wernicke's. But if they are getting an MRI for another reason, we should know the numbers about its performance. Basically, it's a rule and test. It has a sensitivity of 53%, so you cannot use it to rule out the disease. A coin flip, essentially, if its MRI does not show it, doesn't mean that it's not there. It does, however, have a very good specificity, 93%. So if the MRI shows the sort of bilateral involvement of the highly metabolic areas of the brain, that's classic for Wernicke's, that's a very specific finding. In the end, though, the diagnosis, as we would expect, is clinical. Again, the classic triad itself is now classic 10 to 30%. So we're going to look for those little subtleties, as we mentioned, in differentiating the three elements. To go over them collectively, altered mental status, there's nothing really there you can hang your hat on other than knowing your chronic alcoholics well, knowing how they present, and recognizing that the altered mental status of Wernicke's is probably going to be quite different from their typical intoxicated state. Ataxia, also relatively difficult to use to definitively recognize the disease. We know that Wernicke's ataxia is often a trunctal ataxia, where alcoholic or alcohol intoxication causes discoordination of the limbs, but difficult to hang your hat there as well. We do know, however, that ataxia is more common in Wernicke's at 80% versus 30% in our chronic alcoholics. The eyes, though, I think is the key, recognizing that many of our chronic alcoholics will not have nystagmus when they're intoxicated, but if they do have nystagmus, again, 85% of patients with Wernicke's will have that presentation, and if that's not the kingpin or the clincher, the rectus palsies, the eye pal ocular palsies, if they're present, are a huge tip-off in that direction. And finally, we need to recognize that we have one other arrow in our quiver, and that's time. So we're using the above things that I mentioned. I, I recognize as I talk to you that these are difficult decisions. These are difficult diagnostic determinants. But if there are differences seen, if John just isn't himself today. His confusion is not how he normally presents intoxicated, or his eye findings are off from how he normally is. We need to use time to our advantage. So time is incredibly valuable here. There are many times and presentations for John where we need to watch him serially. So if John comes in with a head injury or other trauma on these really, really cold nights where I know I can't discharge him till the morning, Use time to your advantage. If you're finding when you first evaluate him some concern, some red flags, you know, his altered mental status isn't its normal, or he maybe had a, a rectus palsy when I was able to have him look around, use time diagnostically. The symptoms and signs of alcohol intoxication, we know they clear with time. Wernicke's is not going to get better with time. Now, you may be saying to yourself, oh, I don't want to precipitate, or I don't want him to get withdrawal in our department. We're all very facile benzos, right? We know how to use Librium. We know how to use Ativan. This is an important determination in these patients. 
and it's worth your time and careful attention. So coming back to John, the last important take-home in his story is to recognize that it's usually some inciting event that pushes these patients that are at risk for Wernicke's into Wernicke's. They have very thin reserves. They have very low stores of thiamine and some metabolically active disease process, oftentimes infection, pushes them into a Wernicke state. And that's what we saw in John. When I met him, he was out to lunch in a way I had not seen before. He could not stand to walk. Usually he has a bit of a staggering gait, but he couldn't really walk at all. His eye findings, and he had very prominent nystagmus, and I wish I could say his ocular findings were very well known to me. I was able to look back in the records and did not see a documented nystagmus listed in the past with prior intoxications, but he had nystagmus this day. And so what we saw basically were some red flags. There were things about John that were different, and his recent pneumonia was an inciting event for Wernicke's. So we kept him longer. We did more, and he didn't get better. He didn't even really have, you know, he had alcohol in his system as John always does, but it was low. It wasn't that high for him and nothing improved with time. Nothing improved with what you would expect for the metabolization of alcohol. And we admitted him for Wernicke's. So I'm not saying this is easy and I'm not saying I'm going to do it right every time, but it's an important conversation to have. These are at-risk populations. We are the guardians of their health and their health care. So Take the extra time to know what they look like when they're intoxicated, to know what their ocular findings are when it's purely a presentation for intoxication. And then take that bit of extra time when things don't just seem quite right, don't seem normal for your John. Take the time to make sure they return to normal, that they get better. It's a very missable disease, but a little extra time and attention can help us miss it less. Thanks for listening. That's all for the Down ECM podcast for now. If you like what you hear, please hop over to iTunes, throw us some stars, give us a review. It really, really helps us. Also, we would love to hear your ideas about how we can make the podcast better, any topics you like to cover, anything that you think would help your listening experience. You can check out more of what we have to offer at our blog, downeastem.org, and you can follow us on Twitter where our handle is at downeastem. Until next time.